Okay, welcome back to What Is and What Could Be with Michael Clark, Architect. As always, I want to extend my gratitude to all of you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen into this podcast series where we talk through the experience of collaborating with architects and the realization of architectural projects. We also discuss the thinking behind the design of spaces and places. And today I'm fresh off a week away. I had a short holiday and it's one of those holidays where my mind feels a little bit more expansive and open. And so I was able to defrag if you like for a minute, but it's one of those holidays where we did a lot. And as a consequence of doing a lot, I am going to be annoying and say, I feel like I need a holiday to get over my holiday. But what I was able to reflect on is something I wanted to present in a shorter episode than normal. So we're going to depart a little bit from our regular programming and discuss the idea of communication and communication exchange during this important service between the serving and the served. And why did I want to discuss this? Well, I'm having a lot of conversations with certain people, colleagues and others in the profession about an idea that made me remember this concept I've presented in a previous episode, and it's the idea of beating the bully. As an architect, my colleagues, I like the idea of beating the bully. And the bully, as I've said in a previous episode, is not a person, it's not an organization, it's a concept. A concept that suggests what you're doing might not be right. The approach might not be right. The engagement of an architect might not be the right idea. That what they're suggesting is not the right idea. And we want to avoid that. If you like, my plight for these podcasts is to instill confidence to the broader community. Confidence that engaging a professional, an architect and the extended design team is a good idea for various reasons. And one of them I want to discuss today is the idea of communication, the importance of communication. And the importance of communication to beat this bully. What we want when we're developing the design and presenting the design, and that's being assessed, is we want a situation where we have no alarms and no surprises. And anyone that knows me quite well, you'll think, oh, that's the chorus line and the track title to a Radiohead song, a song off Radiohead, uh, their album, OK Computer from 1997. And anyone that knows me quite well knows that I love Radiohead to a fault. I am sometimes guilty of maybe claiming that Radiohead is the only band in the world, <laughs> but their album, OK Computer, still remains as probably my favorite of all time. And this particular song, no alarms and no surprises. I really just want to talk about the chorus line because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to develop a situation where we've coordinated the input of all parties, be, the, be that the extended design team, client, collaborator, contractor, etc. And it's coordinated to a point where we're reducing the extent of potential discrepancies and therefore the alarms during the manifestation, the realization of the project, 
construction so that there are no problems. Now, we can't do that 100%. We're doing it to our best ability. We're undertaking best endeavors. We're doing it to the level of a reasonably prudent professional. But we want to try to have a situation where there are no alarms and there are also no surprises. And what that means is that by the end of the project or as the project has been developed, the collaborator, the owner, the client is not in a situation where they're saying, that's not how I understood that would look. I wasn't expecting that. Insert other examples. So that's what we're trying to avoid. And that's what I want to elaborate on a little bit here. Now, I have to say, this is a two-way street. The clarification in regards to communication it has to come both from the serving, be that the architect, the design professional and their extended team. And it has to also come from the served. The served have to ask the question when the serving are putting something forward that is maybe full of colloquialisms or some jargon or something. Fundamentally, you just don't understand it. You need to put your hand up and ask the question, I don't understand. And I want to elaborate on this because what we're providing as a service, the means of communication, whilst we're using words and writing emails and maybe little specifications and reports, fundamentally we're producing drawings. So it's a visual medium. And in that sense, it's a little easier to interpret than words, except for the fact, as I've said in previous episodes, that the medium is an abstraction of reality in the form of these two-dimensional orthographic drawings being floor plans, elevations, sections. That's not necessarily how you perceive the world, how we perceive the world. And it's important to note that I think in a previous episode, I made the point that there are times when people like me that produce these drawings for a living and have worked with them for years as a student, as a practitioner, there are times when I'm reviewing the floor plan prepared by another company, either in print media or somewhere else, and I might look at it and I might say, that's an, that's an elegant floor plan. I can see the potential of that. But even I might not be able to say, I can really see the qualities of that space, the atmospheric, energetic, aesthetic qualities from the plan alone. I need the assistance of more information, maybe section, elevation, more information. So if someone like me and my colleagues, we are guilty at times of saying, I don't quite understand the full extent and experience being offered through this floor plan alone, then how can we as a profession expect the served to completely understand it without any question? We can't. We can't. So we need to substantiate and the onus is on us to do that. And I have two weapons, if you like, in my arsenal to help in regards to this matter. The first is my trusty clutch pencil. I'm actually holding it in my hand now. I really enjoy holding it when I'm thinking. I certainly like holding it when I'm presenting to clients. And that's because at any moment I'm ready to elaborate on a point, an aspect of a plan or an idea, and pull out a wad of blank paper, 
recycled or otherwise, and sketch perspectives or sections elaborating on a point to help make it clearer. And in those sections, those perspectives, I draw people because we understand what it's like to experience a space when we're in it. And if we can't be in it, and we can't because it's not completed, then I need to put you in it. And I need to put you in it by drawing you, the collaborator, the owner, the client in the space and draw you, you know, hands, body, feet quickly. And then I might extend that by drawing other people, pets, children, whatever might be relevant to give a sense of scale and context. You know, you see those photos sometimes, particularly on certain real estate ads or, or otherwise, and you can't get a feel for the size of a room because there's nothing in it. There's no one in it. Having a bed helps, having a person even better before you're able to actually be in it yourself. So I love drawing in real time on the spot sections or perspectives to elaborate a point. Now, when I'm doing it to a smaller scale, so I'm showing detailed junctions between ceiling and wall, wall and floor, window and wall, or whatever it might be, I draw a foot or a hand, or if I'm drawing the bench top edge of a kitchen, I'll draw legs and whatever I can to help with scale. And I enjoy doing that. I'm not saying it's unique. It's something that a lot of my colleagues and teachers have done previously, but this is one of the forms of communication that we use on top of this coding that is floor plans, elevation sections to assist with the understanding. The other thing I do is that I teach. And as a result of teaching, I'm used to seeing adults not appreciate, understand certain concepts that are presented, not because they're so complex. We're not talking rocket science here, but because they've not heard them for the first time. There's a lot of, yeah, as I've said previously, jargon or colloquialisms or a lot of things to get across. And so I'm used to sitting down with students and doing the same thing, having blank paper and drawing details, sections, perspectives, or whatever to elaborate on an point. Because words are subject to interpretation and they're not the most perfect form of medium to present an idea, particularly an idea in regards to space and qualities of space. Ironically, I'm describing things here on podcasts in words, but hopefully you appreciate that I'm trying to get across an overall idea in regards to communication and how we can go about communicating. I'm not talking about a particular detail necessarily. And I'm guilty, it sounds like a harsh word, but I have a reputation in the classes I teach for wanting drawing space. I wasn't a big fan of remote online learning. I respect some people do enjoy that and prefer that. It just wasn't the way I like teaching. I have a studio space where I teach a tutorial. It's actually designed for two classes, but I'm there by myself. And it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe nine whiteboards, maybe 10. And uh, the course convener put me in there because he knows how much I love having a whiteboard marker and just drawing on a whiteboard next to students to elaborate on a point. I love it. That's my communication medium. Now I'm at a point where I'm getting students up to add layers to the drawing that I'm presenting. I think in one class recently on a Friday, I drew on all the whiteboards 
but for three maybe, so six whiteboards. And some of those whiteboards I rubbed things off and started again. So I love that way of uh, elaborating and describing things, be it in a class with a pen on whiteboard to elaborate some points, or in those classes with blank bits of paper and my clutch pencil. I particularly love the clutch pencil and the whiteboard marker because you can cover quite a lot of ground quite quickly because of the thickness of the medium you're working with. You know, they're not fine pencils or pens. So I can quickly do a broad brush sketch to describe what we're talking about. And I enjoy doing that. And that's one thing I do to elaborate on, on some of these points. Now, this happens in regards to me preempting the idea that particularly things relating to regulations and safety standards and council controls are so wordy, like they're written in words, obviously, sometimes with diagrams, sometimes not. But to appreciate them, even myself, I have to do some drawings. And so I like doing those drawings for those elements in addition to other things. But it also happens when I'm sitting with people within that extended design circle and trying to comprehend information being put to me. I like hearing people talk through things. I like seeing people draw. That's the way I absorb information. I read, but when the content is really long and really complex, I struggle to take it in as naturally as some other people. It's not to say that I'm a bad reader, but I am better at listening to an author talk through the concepts of their book than necessarily reading their whole book or sitting with them, watching them do a diagram, a drawing, a perspective, maybe even play a song or, or something along those lines. And this happens for me. So, you know, the audience that we're presenting to, I'm also a member of that audience in many aspects. When I'm coordinating with structural engineer or builder or someone else in the extended design team. And I've had situations where the builder's throwing off several, you know, pieces of jargon quite quickly to the structural engineer with no drawing. And the structural engineer is saying, yep, that works. We can look at this, this and this. And they nod and get quite excited because the builder knows what to build. And the structural engineer knows what to go back to the office to review and do the calculations for before putting it to me. But I'm lost as a professional that knows a lot of these terms and has worked with some of these people for years. I have to sometimes say, stop, sorry, I don't understand. And I remember a situation where I was working with a steel fabricator and um, a few builders, two or three builders representing the same company. So the project manager, the director, maybe the contract administrator, and we were working through various details for steel fabricated stair. And now throwing these terms around because, you know, the fabricator can build and the builder can build. Their communication technique is not necessarily through drawing. And so I had to stop and say, okay, so let me just see that I understand what you're describing and I would draw it in three dimensions. Or I would describe what I'm thinking and I'd draw it in three dimensions or plan, elevation, section, whatever. And they'd say, yep, yep, no, yes, no. And it was a fantastic exchange. It was a great moment. And later that builder said to me, that was mesmerizing. I have to say, I'm not sure that they use the word mesmerizing, but just indulge me here to take a little bit of creative license. They really enjoyed me drawing in real time in front of them to expand on a point. And that's what we're trained to do. We're trained to communicate 
via drawing beyond the prints that we've done and the coded drawings that we've done we need to get these points across i need people to elaborate and make things clear because i'm taking that information and i'm translating it into a design or using it to inform and develop the design and even more important than that i've got to report back to the collaborator the owner the client as to what all that means in the context of what we're doing and what we're doing ultimately is responding to their vision, to their brief. So what updates to that response have come about as a result of the exchange with these other individuals? I need to communicate that. I need to get that clear, free of alarms and surprises. So I need to know and I need to put my hand up and ask the question. Now it's a two way street, as I said. So whilst I'm saying the onus is on the professional, on the serving and their team to make things clear, the onus is also on the client, the owner, the collaborator, to put their hand up and ask. There's no shame. I need to make that clear. There's no shame in saying, I don't understand this. Sorry, I'm not clear on that. You know, we might at times come across as seeming quite enthusiastic or maybe a little bit busy or the extended team a little bit enthusiastic and busy. That was certainly the case for the steel fabricator and the builder or structural engineer, whatever they might, you know, have many things that they're going on to deal with. But you need to stop and put your hand up or, you know, I mean that metaphorically, we're not in the classroom situation. I even say to my students in my classes, when they put their hand up, please don't put your hand up, just wait for your turn and get our attention and ask the question. But that needs to happen because if it doesn't happen and we get to a point where as it's being realized, as it's being built, it's not meeting the expectations. In other words, it's not the response to vision, to brief that the client imagined. Well, that's a problem because undoing all that to amend comes with a compromise towards time, cost, and actually sometimes in regards to quality because undoing something and redoing it again without undoing the whole thing can, you know, the expression is open up a can of worms. So we want to avoid that. And we avoid that by always asking the question. There's no shame, there's no judgment. This is not a comprehension study. You're engaging a professional to provide a service and advice. And with that comes the expectation that they're going to do everything they can to make that as clear as possible. And now I'm gonna wrap this up by saying this also is true of exchanges with professions beyond architecture. I'm sure many of you can appreciate that before I even go down it. What I'm presenting is not you know, revolutionary necessarily, but when you're having an exchange with a doctor, a specialist, a lawyer, your teacher, whether it's tertiary, primary, secondary, whatever it is, you are being served and in the context of being served you have a right to ask the question when something's not clear all those individuals and there's many many more use acronyms and specialist terms colloquialisms all the time even in my profession there's professions within the profession that use certain acronyms and terms that i've not heard before a planner talking to the planner at council a planner and the planner at council talking to the land and environment court solicitor, whatever it might be. And 
certainly I've had situations where a health provider or a lawyer or any of those things, you can tell that they're under the pump, that they're squeezing me in, and as a consequence, they're a little bit shorter, maybe more terse, maybe more stressed, but that doesn't change the fact that you are asking them to provide a service and you're paying for it. And in that context, I believe you have a right to ask the question. I don't understand, this is my body, this is my health. In the case of a lawyer, this is my business structure, or my teacher, this is my education, whatever it might be. And so everything I'm describing here can relate to areas outside of architecture as much as within. I'm in a business coaching group at the moment, and there's a lawyer that produced quite a lot of interesting content in the last little while. And they put up a post, or a few posts, about this idea of accessibility. And the idea of accessibility, what I mean by that is, yeah, really beating the bully. To avoid the intimidation that comes, maybe, maybe that's a predisposition. It's intimidating to think about engaging an architect, or a structural engineer, or a builder, or a lawyer, or a health practitioner. And so what she was presenting is this idea that she is relatable, she is a small practice, that she tries in her language and discussion with clients to avoid all that technical jargon and legal speak, so as to remove that level of intimidation. And that's something I certainly subscribe to and my colleagues subscribe to as well. This idea that we remove all that and therefore the coding that we're putting in front of you in this visual medium that is floor plan sections elevations is less impenetrable because if we've got coding and acronyms and technical terms, then what chance do you have? It's a tricky situation. And I like the idea that she presents that we want to remove as much of that as possible. We can't avoid acronyms forever. You know, for me, I, I need to refer to CDC and DA and LEP and DCP, but I certainly expand on them very early in the discussion. Okay. So that's it. That's a shorter episode on the idea of communication exchange being a two-way street, onus on the served, sorry, the serving to provide clarification on concepts that are prevent, presented and for the served to put their hand up as often as needed with no shame or intimidation, asking for clarification on those points and an example of how that could apply in other circumstances. Okay, thank you very much for listening. That's it from me for today. You've been listening to What Is and What Could Be with Michael Clark, architect. If you like the episode, please do share it with friends, colleagues, clients, that helps, or subscribe to the show, leave a review. Until next time, thank you for listening.